This is Channel 253. In this episode of Interchangeable White Ladies. You do the thing, you check the box, and then you take the hat off and you go about the rest of your life. Um, And you think about it as this separate thing that you do, right? It's a lot like the job. It's a role that you have in your life. And I think the jump that has to happen for many women that identify as allies and many people that identify as allies is that that is not how it works. Equity is a value that you carry with yourself all of the time. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. One, two, two. interchangeable. White ladies! Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Megan. So what a world we are currently living in. Today is November 14th, the morning of November 14th. And we figured that we might as well have a conversation about the election, the election results, and like what in the world is going on. Our essential question of the day. How did we go from the woke white woman movement that embraced Black Lives Matter and rejected pumpkin spice lattes in April to 55% of white women voting for Trump in November. And I just want listeners to note that I might refer today to WWW, the white woke women, um, but also, you know, WWWM, right? White woke women movement. So if you're wondering what we're talking about, that's what we're talking about. But, you know, in order to build the empathy for really understanding where the WWWs come from, We thought it would be super important today to start with a taste test. Hey, yes, we all know it's pumpkin spice season. And just like we promised you a few episodes ago, we are actually going to dig into it. You know, in the UAE, there's one thing I've missed, not, and that is pumpkin spice from the United States. I've searched high and low at all the white people's stores. And you know what? I cannot find anything pumpkin spice. In fact, I even went to the measures of like looking up on the internet, Pinterest, um, to see if I could find my own recipe to make pumpkin spice. And then I thought to myself, you know what? This is too much. <laughs> and and I so. went to the stores and I couldn't find, like I could only see pumpkin spice. It was everywhere. It was everywhere I looked. It was on every shelf. It was in the aisles that you wouldn't expect to see pumpkin spice goods. It was wild. Um, and so we figured that we would have a fun little taste test where mm. I would get to remind Hope of the wonderful treats that she is currently missing out on. Mm. And now the great thing about the diversity of pumpkin spice treats in the United States is that each one has its own vibe, its own Mm. like character, characteristics. Mm. And so I'm going to have hope. I'm going to read her kind of a profile of each of these treats. And she's going to try and Mm. guess what that treat is. So hope the first one up This treat. So she wears her brown fry leather boots, her knit infinity scarf, and Mm. her hair perfectly curled while she goes to get her pumpkin spice latte, but not from Starbucks because that is too mainstream. And she and it doesn't taste like real coffee. Um, Her bathroom is definitely a Paris theme. 
And she has an iron sign that reads live, laugh, love. Hashtag Mm. thankful. Hashtag blessed. Mm. So what do you think that this treat is? (laughs) (laughs) What is pumpkin spice covered pretzels? Ooh, no. It's pumpkin spice biscotti. It's a little Oh, classy. so close. It's a little so classy. Close. It's a little bougie. It is. Right? It is. Just no a little Starbucks bit. I should have got the hint. Me. Yeah, I should have got the hint, especially with the fringe and the boots. Right? The okay. boots, right? The fry boots, that bougie fry yeah. leather boots. Mm. Mm. Um, and mm. so now I'm going to taste test it. Full disclosure to our audience, I hate pumpkin spice. Just excellent. Disgusting. I have um taking one for salt, the team here. A salted caramel coffee that I'm gonna dip this biscotti oh. in. Salted caramel. It's like pumpkin spices like sister that doesn't get as mm. much. Mm. We have um in the stores here, they have toffee nut, is what they have instead of pumpkin spice. Apparently, people are into it. Oh, okay. Tell us about this it's texture, not, biscotti texture. Did it's it cut your mouth? Hard. It's a real question. It's way yeah. too hard. And I do not like it. Mm, it, yeah what's the flavor profile on that does it taste as is it is it forward like pumpkin spice forward or um it's it very cinnamon it's forward? very pumpkin spice forward um not as cinnamony as other pumpkin spice things i tend to prefer the cinnamon forward pumpkin spice mm, because mm-hmm. then it like overpowers it mm. no this is definitely you taste the pumpkin mm, i mean okay. like listen it's not awful it's not overly sweet mm. you know which is also pretty good it's not too much sugar yeah, it's not something you'd mail to me all across the world, though. Not that good. Yeah, like it's overall, I would give it like a five out of ten mm-hmm. Hunter rain boots. Okay, you know? okay, okay. I like that rating. Yeah, yeah. About halfway. So the second treat. <clears throat> so this. Do you need more of your latte there to offset that uh, that biscotti? I'm gonna have a cotton in your throat. <laughs> okay. Um, so the second treat, she's a soccer mom in her green hunter mm. rain boots with those mm. knit socks rolled over the top, um, her North face rain jacket and like the perfect messy bun to seal the deal. Yeah. I feel like it's black. It's a black jacket, right? Oh yeah. The black, the black okay. rain jacket. Yeah. Gotcha. She's yep. rushing out the door to get her three sons to soccer practice on time. Um, and her house mm. is definitely like a farm chic and has shiplap somewhere in her house hashtag boy mom hashtag soccer mom hashtag the north face puffer vest for life so what do you think what do you think this one is well i'm thinking you know soccer mom's got to be some kind of practical snack i'm thinking maybe like a mixed bag of trail mix like pumpkin spice trail mix ready for the go to hand to the kids in the back seat of the car mm-hmm. maybe you know vacuums up really easily after soccer practice you, what's funny is you were actually correct on the first guess for this one. It is oh, pumpkin spice pretzel yes. fit slims. Oh, so <laughs> I was so close. These are just Yeah, soccer pretzels. mom practicality. Practicality, right? You can grab a handful mm. of these. It's just mm-hmm. a pretzel that's covered in a pumpkin spice yogurt type material <laughs> with like I don't even know a crumble on top. It's I know mm. before I even bite into this that this is going to be so sugary. It's mm, going to yeah, make I hope stomach. so. Okay, so okay, I heard the crunch. I mean, I feel like the crunch mm-hmm. level is good there. Oh, that means it's not stale. That is oh, worse than the biscotti. Describe the level of worseness here. You got. Oh my god! That's How much worse is it? <laughs> 
Is it like is it like gasoline mixed with vomit? Pumpkin spice gross? No, it, or is it like day old milk in your car? Gross. It's probably day old milk in your car. Gross. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I can't even describe <laughs> to you. Like my mouth is like watering to get the flavor out of it. I think. Um, but I also want to acknowledge that it's because I don't like pumpkin spice, and this is mm. very. Like, and like, I don't like super, super overly sweet, like mm. snacks. And so that's so the best of both worlds there. It's the best of both worlds. But I will say, actually, after um, after a while, you know how sometimes the aftertaste is worse. The aftertaste yeah. is better on this yeah. one because of the oh, okay. saltiness from the pretzel. Yeah. Cuts through yeah. the sweetness of what is like coated on the pretzel. And so actually yeah. it gets so- better over time. It almost tricks you to have it again because you're like, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. And then you have it again and you're like, no, it was that bad. I almost just grabbed it and took another bite. (laughs) Look, just give it to Tyler or Madison. They'll be fine. Give it to Todd in the backseat. It's fine. They can eat it. Mm. Aileen, Preston, all of those. Mackenzie, Kirsten, Kristen, (laughs) Kirsten, (laughs) Kaylee, Kaylee with the Mm -hmm. Mm L-E-I-G-H-Y. I mean, all of them. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give that a um, a three- out of 10 fall foliage pictures. Mm, okay. That sounds good. Yeah. That sounds good. Okay. It sounds fair, actually. Very yes. fair. So the third and final tree. So she's an avid hiker and just can't get enough screen-free time. She wears the Patagonia better sweater half zip and her brown hiking boots with red laces. When not hiking, she has every color of flannel known to man. She is obsessed with her dog and lives for getting the perfect picture of her pup surrounded by the orange and yellow fall leaves. Hashtag fall foliage. Hashtag dog mom. Hashtag the mountains out. Mm, mm, mm. I feel like I want to lean into like the pastry realm in this one. Interesting. Um, particularly, you know, I just think about like a sweet treat that's really Instagrammable. And I'm just thinking like some kind of pumpkin spice mm-hmm. cinnamon roll of sorts. Mm-hmm. Doug has just changed yes, his background I, to a pumpkin and a bowl of pumpkin spice. Listeners, you don't even know what you're missing here. Missing and so I much. almost burst into laughing. Uh, I, am I wrong? Am I wrong? It's not you. What, what, what yes, is this? you are wrong. And once again, you were correct. More correct. Than the previous guess. Yeah, it's Brutal. granola. When you're outdoors, <laughs> when you're outdoors, you need granola. So this one is a true organic. First mm. one that says organic pumpkin. Good spice, fair trade pumpkin spice granola bark. It's gluten free. There is bark spice flavored <laughs> granola layered with dark chocolate and topped with toasted oh. pumpkin seeds. This okay. one I feel could like could is going to be the better of all of them. Oh, that is yep. like that is that's a hefty piece of bark you got right there. Bark. Um, okay, <clears throat> here we go. <laughs> the crunch is just falling for our listeners. You know, as she's taking a bite, we see the, <laughs> the bar entering Megan's mouth, and as the crumbles fall from her lips, oh, that is what the is best your final one. decision? Megan Holyoke. That is the best one by far. Oh, okay. We have a winner here. Mm-hmm. What makes it superior to the other treats? The spice is very is not very much. Mm, okay. So um, if you like want to feel like it's fall, but you're kind mm-hmm. of a fake fall person, then this might be a good snack. Yeah, for you. like truly, that is really good. Um, so it doesn't, it's not as like actually it's probably not as pumpkin forward, which is I think the part that I don't really love. Mm, so there's mm-hmm. not a ton of pumpkin. I think the pumpkin part of this tree is just the pumpkin seeds. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe that's good. And that's how they get around with around it. A little bait and switch. Which works for me. I'm gonna have another bite of it because it's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, well, all right. that's good. That's good. So, so on the rating then, back to your rating though. I mean, we, you've rated all the other oh, ones. Right. What's your final rating on this? Oh, that is, I will be finishing that bag okay. over oh. the next couple of days. So that is like okay. a eight out of 10. Oh, I have to come up with like, what is it? An eight out of 10. An mm, eight out yeah. of 10 panoramic mountain pictures. Mm, perfect. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. Yeah. We'll say be atoned, if you will. Really? Yeah. yeah. With lots of filters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really feel um, my inner empathetic person coming out now. Like, I, I feel like I'm ready to dive into just what is wrong with white women in America and why we keep ruining elections. Oh, yeah. Uh, or almost ruining them over and over. Are you, re- are you ready for that? Well, first, you have to guess which one was me. And I think, you know, because I saw your reaction when I started reading the profile. And I know, you know, which one is me. <laughs> I don't. I'm just dying with all of them. They're just Wait, which one is actually you in person? Yeah, like, which real one for I, did you? I model after myself? Oh, uh, the hiking one. Obviously. You like to go hiking. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Yay. Yay, hope won. I won 100, point, 100 life points for Know My Co-host right there. I won't spend them all in one place. I think that's yeah. the most important thing. That is the most being order. responsible. Um, being responsible. So now we're ready to really jump into that. Mm. Um, we're in mm-hmm. the zone to talk about the election and those problematic white women. That, that came out of the woodwork in this election. So where all the white woke women go? White woke white women go, Megan? That Didn't we have a, a whole bunch like back in the spring and stuff? So much to unpack. So much to talk about during this episode and just what in the world went wrong, what happened. And I think that what we have to recognize, so this was the highest national voter turnout in over a century. So more mm-hmm. people showed up, a higher percentage of people showed up in this election in over a century, I think 1908 was the last time that percentage-wise more people showed up for an election. And it looks like Biden is about to beat Trump by over 5 million Mm -hmm. votes. And so what I've really been reflecting on is why doesn't it feel better, right? Mm -hmm. Like it feels good, but why doesn't it feel like I expected this win to feel before the election day. And I Mm -hmm. I think like really unpacking that, right? So Hope, how are you feeling right now as it stands on November 14th about the election? Um, I feel like, you know, I'm I'm both hopeful, but also also very skeptical. I mean, I think in part, I'm kind of feeling that sense of like, um, there's so much unknown still. And I, I, I kind of am sitting in that unknown because as we as we do know, um, the Trump administration is filled with people who are love to be engaged in shenanigans and partial truths and so on. And so I'm just kind of holding um, that at the same time as as like you said, there's five million extra votes. I mean, there's just all these things kind of coming to play um, that are pretty important. I mean, what are your current feelings with this? Um. That's a really good question. I think that I'm feeling like what I was telling people, especially before it was officially called, was like nauseously optimistic. Mm, I think that that's, that's the best way, way of explaining it is that I am optimistic. I am excited. I am confident that Biden will be sworn in on January 20th on Inauguration Day. Um, but the nausea is coming from what do the next two months look like? Right. What do the next two months, are we going to be um, subjected to the biggest temper tantrum of a fascist that we've ever seen in this country? Mm -hmm. Right. Are we going to see further divide and fraction? Um, 
Are we going to continuously be let down by the Republican leaders in Congress, right? Like we already are. I think that that's also really disappointing. And I think that that's, I think that that is why this doesn't feel as good as it should. And I was hoping to, right. And I think like Mm -hmm. Van Jones, that really famous speech Mm -hmm. made, um, on that moral victory versus political victory, right. That we have a political victory. It is, it is very clear that, um, Biden is going, is our president elect Kamala Harris is our vice president elect. That is very clear at this point, right. That that is Mm going to be, it's nearly an impossible road for Trump to get to, um, to contest this election. He would have to win so many cases in so many different states in order for that to be overturned. I'm not worried about that. I'm well, and as of like our this morning and your last night, uh, all the cases have been thrown out as far was the last thing I read about it as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, left and right, like, right. And yeah. these court cases are being dismissed left and right, because if you look at what, um, the guidelines are to prove fraud, right? In like federal courts, they don't have a leg to stand on. And what's really fascinating, if anybody has the time, just go and read the transcripts from those proceedings between the judges and Trump's lawyers. And you can hear the eye rolls from the judges. Like you can just (laughs) hear them. You can just envision them with how fed up the judges are with Trump's lawyers. And I mean, as of last night, two major law firms in Pennsylvania dropped Trump's, the Trump campaign. Um, So they're no longer proceeding with those lawsuits. Um, So essentially Trump got fired from his, um, Mm -hmm. the law firms that were carrying out these cases. It has a lot to do with, because the lawyers that worked at those law firms said that they would quit if the law firm Mm -hmm. continued forward. Um, And Mm -hmm. so they decided not to anymore. Uh, which I think is great, right? Like, I think that that's what's slowly going to happen. I just think that the moral victory, I think that so many people thought that this was going to feel like a blowout, right? And I think that so many people leading into the election night felt very optimistic about the numbers that we were seeing in the early voting, um, the demographics of early voters, the number of young people that were showing up, the number of people of color that were showing up. And I think that there was just this sense that it was going to be a major, a, like an overwhelming victory. And that was not what happened. Right. Well, and I, I think part of the why people don't want to reconcile with that is because then you have to face the fact that so many people still voted for Trump again. Yes. After seeing four years of his reign, lack of legislation, whatever you want to call um, this <laughs> the last four years has been. And I think that's partly what the left um, doesn't want to face. I think that's what a lot of people don't really want to face. Right. Because we start to have to come to grips with that. Um, And particularly for white people, you know, who may have pretended like this was not America. Now we're really seeing true colors. I mean, again, it's like I know some people probably look at this and are so frustrated with, you know, how many times. Right. How many times does this have to show itself and reveal itself? Um, And so I think we are left with sorting out. What do we do now? Right? What do we do with this fact? What do we do with this understanding that, you know, half the country is fully behind this man? And so mm-hmm. um, whether it's for money or for power, prestige or justices or 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 um, I don't know that the reasoning really matters what we have to face those folks. And, and I think also they're just they're not faceless is the other thing. Right. Yeah. It's like it's cousins. It's parents. It's grandparents. It's siblings. Right. And so I think that's the other piece 
that people don't really want to talk about or that they don't really want to think about because it's really hard to, and you have to figure out what you're going to do when you face it. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely correct. I think that being faced with the reality, right. Is like, it's, it's really hard to come to grips with. And I think that I've been having that thought all the time is like, Oh, I thought, I just thought that the numbers were going to break really differently. Right. And, or I was hoping, I should say, I was hoping that the numbers were going to break really differently. Yeah. Um, and I've actually really wanted to ask you about how, so teaching overseas right now, um, what has been the reaction of your students to Mm. all of this news and what's happening with the election? Yeah, it's a real, you know, sorry, I, I don't teach, um, government, right. So I think, you know, obviously you can, Folks can follow Nate on Twitter to kind of get a better sense of of that. But I think one of the things we've been talking a lot about is, you know, a lot of a lot of students who have connections in the U.S. are really considering, you know, how does that align with their own personal viewpoints and their own sense of like morality? Um, And I will say, like, a majority of my students um, are not empathetic towards Trump administration, um, but many of them are trying to understand, you know, Mm -hmm. what is going on in the U.S. and like, how does that tie back to family? Um, but of course, like, you know, there's, it depends on the policy that we're talking about as well. Right. So there's a a mixed feeling about it. Um, I think in that, in that sense, but a lot of the conversation, you know, that I'm having in my AP Lang class is a bit more like, you know, thinking about those bigger pictures when we, when we critique a leader, when we critique, um, certain people, you know, how do we approach it? Why are we critiquing? You know, what is it about this thing? And also that sense of like, well, so, well, so what, what do we do then now? Right. And so Mm -hmm. what does that mean for, our own sense of leaders in our own communities and the kind of leaders we want to be, you know, so trying to internalize that. I know I don't teach a leadership class, but really thinking about it more in those terms. Um, And so I I think, you know, a big part of it over here, a lot of folks are just kind of looking and and waiting to see what happens. Right. It's like, well, is this really going to happen? Is this lawsuit going to stand up? And I think a lot, you know, a lot of folks in the U S and abroad don't really understand how varied um, state laws are. Yeah. <laughs> you don't really understand, like, how can this happen? So, I mean, at one point I was talking to some some of our nurses here and one's Australian and one's from the UK. And they're just like, we don't understand why you guys, like, why can't you just like the numbers and stuff? And I was like, well, no, every state has different rules. And they're like, well, well why? You know, so it's like trying to explain states' rights. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's why de- deadlines are different and processes are different. And, you know, ballots look different yeah. and all that kind of stuff. It's just, I think, hard for people to outside of the U.S. to understand but frankly, I think inside the U.S. Oh, I was just about to either. say, I, was about to say I, I started the federalism unit with my students this week. So up to election week, we were kind of doing a um, a special coverage type unit. And we yeah. finally went back and jumped into federalism this week. <clears throat> Excuse me. And and having my students try and wrap their heads around okay, so what are reserved powers? What are enumerated powers, right? Mm-hmm. What are What is the federal po- government's authority? What is the state government's authority? And why did the founders create that? What was the purpose right. of that, yeah. right? Why yeah. were elections given to the states as a reserved power? Um, and what does that mean? And so it's really bizarre to be able to teach this unit through the current, what's currently happening in the election, right? So I'm having them read articles about the um, recount and the lawsuits and all of that, right? And it's different for every state. And I gave them that article to try to um, teach the lesson that, hey, every single state gets to determine what their processes and procedures are for the election. And 
that it's very difficult for them to wrap their heads around because it feels nonsensical, right? It right. feels yeah. to them unfair. And, right. um, you know, and then I try and pose it of like, well, what if you were like, what if you lived there? What if you were this mm-hmm. person, right? How would you feel about this law? And trying to teach that, but it's getting harder and harder to, um, in these cases, right? Like play the devil's advocate. And I think that's a really interesting thing too, of like, you know, what this, what our politics have come to where when I am playing the devil's advocate, am I defending fascism? (laughs) You know, like how do you, how do I, how do I denounce fascism while also getting my students to think critically and like, think about the other side. Right. Yeah. Um, when, you know, I believe that the other side right now is defending fascism, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. yeah, like it's a very fascinating conversation in the classroom. Well, and kind of building off that, one of the things I'm thinking a lot about, you know, not just with Biden's speech um, recently, but just, you know, there's a lot of podcasts, a lot of folks that I'm listening to talking about, you know, so then, so then what, how do we bring our country that's very much divided back together? And one of the things I keep hearing is around, you know, what do you do with Trump supporters or people who are Trump apologists? Right. And so um, on the one hand, there's like the humanity part of it where you're like, it behooves us to have, to like have empathy and to be, you know, understanding where this person comes from, especially if you're like connected with them. On the other hand, I, I mean, I know, I'm sure we both have plenty of friends who are like, it's the, it's my way or the highway and like cut yeah. ties completely understand that too. And so I'm just kind of wrestling with that notion. And also what does that mean now? And so, you know, some of the things I've been listening to, you know, there's a lot of talk about like, how do you bring them into the fold? How do you mm-hmm. help them see you know, take the blinders off. And I, I, you know, I'm an educator. So of course I believe that people have ability to be rehabilitated or to like mm-hmm. be better because I don't think I could teach if I didn't really, you know, growth minds <laughs> crashed and growth. Absolutely. Mindset. Absolutely. <laughs> but on the other hand, I, I also think people need to be not held accountable has like too much baggage, but like also face responsibility for their things mm-hmm. that they've said and done. And so, you know, in the big scheme of things, it's like, we can't just ignore that, you know, dudes walked around with guns and like absolutely threatened people at the polls. Right. And so we can't ignore that. And that needs to be very clear. Like that is unacceptable behavior. But then of course Mm -hmm. the teacher means like, and how do we help that person, you know, reform. And I don't know that I I don't, I don't believe that everybody can be reformed Mm -hmm. of course, but I, I do think, you know, there's one, one thing to talk about in general, like faceless people, you know, the Republicans, the faceless people, the people on the right, you know, whatever, whatever. But on the other hand, it's like, no, there's every single person has a name, has a story, absolutely, has a connection. And, you know, a lot of our listeners are white. So thinking about like, y'all, that's our, those are our family members. Like yep. those are the people we know. So like, get your neighbor, get your grandma, <laughs> get, uh-huh. get the guy who, you know, sells you groceries. Like you can't, if we just push them off, like who's doing that work. And I, I mean, we've said on this podcast so many times white people have, it's white people's responsibility to do that kind of work and to fight white supremacy in a very particular sort of way. And so I don't know, as we're talking, I'm kind of, I'm wondering, is it our responsibility as white people to do that? And then the folks who are, who can, who are like, I'm out, right. And taking harder lines. Yeah. It makes more sense. Um, if they're not the same like connection, right? So maybe racially, culturally, whatever. And it's also a form of like self-preservation, I think, for yeah. a lot of folks of color. I'm not trying to speak oh, for absolutely. people of color, but I yeah. just am kind of wrestling. I, I wonder about that. 
Right. And I think right, that idea of like racism is a white people problem, right? It's a white person, people, like it is white people's responsibility to fix because we created it. And I like, I think that it's so overwhelming to think about the half, one half of the country um, that voted for Trump, right? Like we talked about the most people showed up in this election in over a century. Um, Biden received the most votes of any presidential candidate the second the second most votes to Trump in this very election. Right. So Trump right. received a significant amount of votes, a significant amount of people filled in that bubble for Trump on their ballot. And I think that when I think about that number, it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I immediately think of that that statistic, that number that's floating around that we've all been hearing a lot about. Right. That we referenced in our essential question is that 55 percent of white women that voted for Trump. And before we jump into this, um, to this conversation, right, about like, what is the responsibility of white people, right? What is the responsibility of white women in this conversation? Um, I think it's important to note that that 55% number came from exit polls. It was a New York Times exit poll, which exit polls are naturally flawed. Um, Mm -hmm. That in 2016, the exit polls showed that 53% of white women voted for Trump. The actual breakdown ended up being closer to about 47% of white women voted for Trump, 45% voted for Clinton. So still 2% more white of white women voted for Trump over Clinton in 2016, which is wild to me. Um, and so all the numbers and figures that we're talking about in terms of the 2020 election are all based off of exit polls that happened. We don't have the exact numbers that happens once um, ballots are certified. So just wanted mm-hmm. to put that out there mm-hmm. in the conversation. I'm not diminishing it. I still, it still greatly upsets me. Um, and I like having well, that conversation. Part of this is like, I mean, twofold one. So taking that, you know, in stride, but also being like, we need to face that. Right. Yeah. So coming back to this, like we need to face, we have these to. things and ignoring it or just like explaining away the polls or the, you know, invalidity of whatever, like, isn't helpful for moving our country forward. Absolutely. Um, but I, I think, you know, so much of it, it really comes down to like women are voting against their interests. Yeah. And I laugh because it's like, what? It's ridiculous. We're on this show, but like, yeah. literally you're voting against your interests. Yeah. I mean, so what do you make of why so many white women um, are still voting for Trump in this le- last election uh, and still voting against their So interests? that is a loaded, loaded question. And before, <laughs> before we jump into that question, I think it is a good time for us to take a break. We'll leave you in yep. suspense of kind of why, why we think that is. And we'll jump right back into talking and unpacking that. This is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, We Art Tacoma. Words mean things. That's what Pacific Lutheran University challenges me and you to think about in our everyday speech. When I speak to you or a guest over the podcast, the words I choose have impact, either positive or negative. Words have history, and when we choose to use them, we have to own their meaning and their effect on the people listening. My language, my choice. PLU is asking us to go deep on words like anti-racist or decolonize and to think about what those words truly mean. Then, once you understand them, let's talk about how you can put words into action. What can you do to live up to the word anti-racist? How can you decolonize your entertainment or even how you introduce yourself? These are big questions. To get ideas on how to answer them, and to find questions about other important words, 
Visit plu.edu slash words mean things to learn more. My sincere thanks to Pacific Lutheran University for sponsoring Channel 253 and for doing exactly what universities should be doing right now with this campaign. Well, Megan, what is your answer? You <laughs> left me here in suspense for the last few minutes. Um, so I, I, I think that we underestimate the the power of the white supremacist system sometimes as right. more yeah. liberal white women. I think that we think that. Um, we think of this, like when we say white supremacy, we think of it as this, like is as a, as an issue mm. th- that in the same way as like abortion rights or women's health rights or, mm. or, or, and we think of it as like an issue when in all actuality, it's pervasive through the entire existence mm-hmm. that we live in. And I mm-hmm. think that we underestimate the power and the impact of that, um, especially in areas of the country that are not as liberal, right. That, mm-hmm. that are not as um, that aren't as left as say like Washington state. Right. Um, and there's definitely pockets of Washington that aren't, but where, you know, in the Pacific Northwest in that I five corridor. And I think that that is more pervasive, the fear of losing power, the fear of losing your way of life, the fear of not knowing where you stand in the world. Mm -hmm. That's scary. And that's more scary than wanting to protect abortion rights if you don't need to have an abortion. And if you can't mm-hmm. imagine ever having an abortion, right? right? That's not personal. That it's it's not personal to worry about that if you are a woman who, you know, are one of the women that would never get an abortion, that are religious and, and it goes against your religion. That is less scary losing, like seeing that right go away. That's less scary than seeing your place in the world and your power in the world Mm -hmm. being removed. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. that that has a lot to do with why so many white women vote Republican Mm -hmm. is because the issues that the the left are talking about don't apply to them. They don't Mm -hmm. see how it applies to them. There are so many Mm -hmm. women that I have heard that reject this concept of feminism, Mm -hmm. right? And so if if there are women in this world that are rejecting feminism, like they, they are not going <laughs> to vote Democrat, right? They're going yeah. to vote Republican because yeah. what is the most important to them is their way of life, is their family values, is their religion. And and so it, I, I don't know, it makes sense to me that they're voting Republican because that's the messaging from actually, honestly, both sides mm-hmm. of the party, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Both Republicans and Democrats are not doing, or well, Republicans are doing a great job right? In their messaging. But I don't think Democrats yeah. are doing a great job of why, white, how it would benefit white women in their policies. Right. And well, I mean, it's interesting to think about the notion of like benefiting, you know, what benefits you to vote in this particular way. Um, I was actually just listening to an interview, kind of a bit of a side note. I was listening to this interview. I feel like maybe it was Ezra Klein. I have to go back and look. But um, essentially, they were talking about how Biden's frame of mind is not so much why you should vote this way, but is understanding the point of view in which of why you vote that way. And so, of course, as an AP Lang teacher, you know, you know, we're always talking about like persuasive, you know, elements and like you got to get in their heads and, you know, get them to see your side. But um, for for my nerds out there, 
Like I think back to this Rogerian style of argumentation, which is really like, let me hear your side. What do you think? Why do you feel this way? What do you love? Why do you love that? Why do you, you know, what are you voting for? Mm -hmm. And so it's not so much of like, you need to vote this way because it's in your interest, which I think is how we approach a lot of this conversation. All of it. But really it's like, well, tell me about why you vote this way for you. How does this reflect your values? How does this reflect the thing um, where you're coming from? So that that thought kind of comes to mind. Um, But I've also been thinking a, a lot about just what is it that white women, like you mentioned, that the power dynamic that's there. But I also was reading this piece that was talking a bit about just the nature of whiteness and white privilege that is manifested in the male patriarchal form. Absolutely. And so part of the thing that was proposed in this piece I was reading, I'll, I'll link to, is just that that whiteness and white privilege is actually aspirational for white women mm-hmm. and that they're also trying to achieve it. And so in order to achieve it or to main, to get that status, to maintain that yes. status, or close to it, they're like, I'm going to step on everybody else and engage in these quote unquote unsisterly behaviors. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of the Vogue pieces referred to them as foot soldiers of the patriarchy. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I was, what do you think about that notion? I, Are white women also trying to pursue whiteness, even though they, they have it. <laughs> I think, right. I think that it's absolutely correct. I think that when we talk about um, systems of oppression, Right. We we oftentimes on the left talk about these systems of oppression, oppression and systemic racism and the patriarchy. And I think that we talk about them in an abstract way, but we don't talk about right. the realities of the impact on society. And we are not that far removed from being living in a world where women were just expected to do what their husband said. Right. The entire purpose of a woman was to um, was to get married mm-hmm. and. And the have babies don't forget. And, have, and like to Procreate. get married and have babies and to be obedient to their husbands and to or before that to be obedient to their fathers. I mean, let us not right. forget all of the all of the progress that women have made. Um, and I I think that this idea of patriarchy and the system, we're not that far removed from it. And so to understand why so many women are voting for Republicans. And I don't mean to diminish women that have decided to vote Republican. I really don't. Like I like they are, many of them are their own people with their own thoughts and feelings. But I also think that the subconscious impact of voting along the way of the men in their life is still a very real thing for many of these white women is that is just the way of life. That is the way you walk through life. You vote the way that your dad does. And then you vote the way that your husband does. And if you grew up in a very conservative area, your dad and father or your father and husband are most likely Republican. And, Mm. you know, the, um, the number one political socialization in this country is your family, like where you grow up and who you grow up with. And I think that that influence of men on women um, in certain areas of this country is significantly greater, right? Like we are Mm -hmm. not that far removed from, Mm -hmm. right? Like we are not, feminism is not done. (laughs) Like we have not arrived. Um, (laughs) We are not post-feminism. Like we're not, or we're not post-patriarchy. Like we are still existing in it. and but so after Kamala Harris becomes president, yeah, then we'll right? be post. We'll be post all of that. Just, guys. just like when Barack Obama became president, we're yeah, in a post post racial, okay? post racial country, right? <laughs> like it just it's not it's not our reality. And I think yeah. that when you approach something, I love what you said about the asking question. It's um, I was also reading an article that was explaining that's what lawyers do. So mm. like it's a a tactic that lawyers use of lawyers 
ask you questions. They ask you to explain, hoping that you mm-hmm. trap yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you are forced <laughs> to defend yeah. what yeah. you're saying, it's, you know, like oftentimes you find that what you're saying isn't true or you trap yourself or, you know, you catch yourself in a lie, which is what lawyers are trying to get you to do is to like catch you in a lie. But also like it forces you to be self-reflective, right? It forces you to think about, well, why am I saying this? What, what is it about, you know, the Republican party that like the Republican party's policies that align with my values. And I think that when you push people to explain that they have a really hard time, especially I would, I would think white women, they have a really hard time aligning their values with the Republican platform. Mm. Right. And so I just, I want more people to do what you said, right. I want more people to be curious and to ask questions because you learn more, but also you are allowing space for the other person to be self-reflective as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I would also say, I would also add, like, I don't think the democratic party's platform is also is working either in that sense. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't really believe like either party needs to, you know, what is it like pursue and like um, try to woo, you know, their, their voters necessarily. But uh, I just think there's some things that can be done that are, um, not done. And also like, how do you actually make it a more inclusive place? So like back in the women's march a couple of years ago, when that, that was kind of, you know, taking off, um, I had a lot of conservative friends who felt like their local, um, democratic like chapters were really pushing them out because they, you know, were not, I, I don't know. I never want to say like pro-abortion. Cause I like, that's ridiculous, but nobody's yeah. pro-abortion, but I think there was like, like the abortion issue was a rub. Right. And uh-huh. so they, they felt like their local chapters of Democrats were really not welcoming. And unless they walked down, were like, everybody should be able to, you know, access Planned parenthood. They, you know, can't come to this thing. And I'm like, that's not what, that's not what the women's march is about. You guys, you like, just go, it's like totally <laughs> yeah. about other issues <laughs> that yeah. matter that matter. Right. And so I think, you know, there, it's just interesting to, to, to see, um, yeah, I, I guess it's interesting to see how that plays out. What does that mean for like local recruiting and local, you know, changing people's mind? What's actually going to change people's mind? Conversations, finding out what drives people saying, hey, we're actually united on this issue. Um, I don't know, I'm still holding that at the same time as obviously in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about, you know, just the data point that Republicans have won the majority of white votes in every presidential election since the Civil Rights Act was passed. And so that's all, you know, the white vote, male and female and everybody in between. But um, there's something, you know, at the core in American politics and on the right in Republicanism that needs to be we need to figure out. We need to figure out how to address. We need to think about what does it mean for white women to be do better, particularly if we try to say that we're a woke white women yeah. back to the WWW. I just needed to slide that in there, too, because I can't forget that branding. You can't, you can't forget that branding. I think it's genius. I so. I, when I think about, um, the white population and the white vote, right? Like how the majority of white people vote Republican. I always think about, listen, the fear of losing power is powerful. And, and so I, I'm constantly, like you said, there's this rub for me where it's like, I want to reject almost everything that the Republican party stands for right now. Really, like I, I just I I don't think that they they say fiscal conservatism. Well, you know, I could talk about policies and fiscal conservatism and how 
you know, the only surplus we've had in our federal budget was under a Democrat and the only like Mm -hmm. federal budgets, like cuts we've had have been under Democratic um, presidents in the last like 40 years. Right. Like I can talk about that and I can, but like, I can't support the racist policies. I can't support the sexist policies. I can't support the bigotry and the hatred and the the fear mongering and the gaslighting and right. and I think I'm trying to rectify that of like I have felt gaslit for the last really five years right right right, right? of and it's not yeah. just Trump and Trump's administration it began to bleed into the entire Republican Party if you look at what's happening right now with this election if it was just Trump and Trump's administration we would be seeing a wave of Republican leaders coming out and denouncing what he is doing denouncing hit like denouncing the fascism denouncing mm-hmm. the attack on our democracy mm-hmm. right denouncing because listen that administration has done it about other countries over the last right. four years they have <laughs> yeah. right like the the denouncing of china and china's government and how they're holding their elections and how they're suppressing their people and yeah. um the protests that were happening like we don't like trump's administration has had no problem doing that in the last four years and i don't know why republican leaders aren't doing it now but i also pragmatically <laughs> when talking about like okay how do you play the game you play the game by getting more votes and so mm-hmm. there's there's this like balance of how do i rectify my own personal feelings of deep hatred of what i believe the republican party or many republicans are doing i don't think it's all of them right i think it's the republican leadership is doing to our country but also reach across the aisle and have empathy, be able to hear them, be able to have conversations with them, um, get back to a bipartisan like method or motive. And I, and I like, that's a question that I have. And like, I'll pose to you is, do we think bipartisanship is over in the United States or do we feel like bipartisanship is salvageable? Yeah, I don't even know how to handle the word bipartisan anymore because I'm right? so triggered when I hear it because I Absolutely. feel like it's a real thing. Um, and that's on gaslighting, sure. folks. <laughs> like, I know, I'm just That's like, on I, gaslighting is, is yeah. Can you, I don't know. I don't I don't know how to answer that. Yeah. I guess I'll just leave it at right? that. I don't Be- know. Do you have an answer? I don't know how to answer that. I don't. And that's the thing. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if bipartisanship is possible ever again. And I think that... Um, I think that we, it's such a triggering word because Republicans have used that and gaslit the left and been like, listen, bipartisanship, you always say you want bipartisanship, but what it always is, is that they stonewall and they stonewall and they stonewall and they constantly take and take and take and they don't give. And over the last four years, there have been several instances we're existing in one of those moments where the house has passed so many Um, relief bills for coronavirus, right? right? The Democratic controlled house has passed several, several bills for coronavirus relief. And Mitch McConnell in the Senate has refused to bring any of those bills and not Mm. only refused, Mm. but then sent the Senate on vacation, right? Right. But then says, well, bipartisanship, you won't compromise, you won't compromise, right? And I think that that rhetoric has now caused the left to be like, well, fine, we're not going to compromise with you either. And I think mm-hmm. that it's a very real thing. And I, maybe that's like a lingering question that we leave for people is like, what is the, 
what is the future of bipartisanship in this country? Because we've just elected a president who, if ever there is a president that can, that can create bipartisanship because he is so centrist and he has such deep relationships with many Republican senators that are in the Senate right now, if it right. is possible, it's going to happen under Biden. And I just but don't to, know. But to your point, like, I think it's always one sided bipartisanship. And that goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, like I in pulling people back together and uniting the country, which I think needs to happen. I don't know how you do that in a way that also holds people to the things that they did beforehand. Right. That were not OK. And like, mm-hmm. how do you how do you hold how do you not like um, how do you not re- relent on that, I guess, on what is like morally right as well? And not just like take some like moral you know, high ground that doesn't exist or like to try to be snooty about it. But I, I just also don't think, you know, there's just some things you're like, that is the very, how can you, you can't get rid of them, but I, I, I'm at a loss for words. But at the same time, like, you know that that's what's going to be held, right? Just like forgive and forget. Like, is there going to be a Trump pardon? Is there going to be a pardon in his administration? Absolutely. And and hold, and the left is going to be put in this position to like, well, if you want bipartisanship, then Absolutely. you better, you know, do this thing. And I feel very, um, yeah, disappointed, concerned, curious, right? If any of that's going to happen and like how that's going to play out. Yeah, I yeah. I agree. I think that Democrats do not do a good job of explaining or defending their platform. Like I just, I during the debates, I wanted to scream <laughs> at Biden yeah. at certain points to like talk facts. The facts, the facts are on our side in many of these situations. But we're post-facts, Megan. Get over it. We're post-facts. I mean, I think the Trump administration has proved that facts don't matter. Nobody cares about your facts. But I think that that's, I truly think, I think that the flag flying Trump supporters are post-facts. I do not think that, I don't think that the majority of the Republican Party, or maybe it is the majority now, um, but I don't think that the majority of the Republican Party are flag flying Trump supporters. I think that nobody gives a flying fact. Ah, that was a good pun. Nobody gives a flying fact. Um, Flying facts. No one cares. That's a good one. That's a good one. But I do think that the centrist and moderate Republicans do. I think that there is a subsect of the Republican Party that is open to the conversation. And I think that they see the writing on the wall of the Republican Party. I think that they see the writing on the wall of that they're losing the majority in the country. They're losing the majority in their key swing states. Um, I, I hope that they're seeing that. I think that what happened in Texas was fairly concerning for many Republicans. I've been telling my students for the last several years, I think Texas is going to go purple in the next 10 to eight to 10 years. Um, I think it's going the route of Arizona, which Arizona is a solidly purple state. I think in the next several presidential elections, Arizona will be blue. Um, that's just my assumption. I feel like you should write this somewhere, like yes. on like your vision board. You <laughs> should have my like vision, a vision board. board. I mean, it's my vision <laughs> board like in the sense that that's what I, that it's my vision board in like <laughs> my sense that that's what I'm teaching my students. I'm having them look at the yeah. demographics in Arizona and Texas and looking at the voting trends. And when you look at the suburbs in those areas, you can see the voting trends changing to more left in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And that's generally when a state flips is like, yeah. we know cities are always going to vote blue. We know urban areas are always going to vote blue but really look to the suburbs to see what the future of a state's going to hold. And in both of those states, the suburbs suburbs have slowly but surely been voting more blue. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, in 
the next 10 to 15 years, we'll see Texas be a true swing state. And I think that that's going to be kind of game over in the sense of Republicans defending the Electoral College, right? Because, I mean, without Texas, they can't win. Um, And so I think that that will be a really interesting it'll be really interesting. And also the fact that like, listen, the electoral college points are, this is the last election cycle and before they change again. Right. Um, and so we'll Mm -hmm. see how that kind of plays out and what the census showed us in terms of population and the breakdown and distribution of those electoral Mm -hmm. points. Um, so in, in kind of wrapping up this conversation, because I think we could go forever (laughs) and there's like so many other things to say, but I mean, what do we do? What do we do now? Like, mm-hmm. what is kind of your thoughts to the average white listener um, out here yeah. on this podcast? What does this look like for us mm-hmm. on the on? I don't like the on the ground, but why do I keep saying it? So right. <laughs> what does it mean for us? What are the implications for us on the daily? Right. Yeah. Because a lot of a lot of us don't live in those states. Mm-hmm. I so for me, what I've been really reflecting on and I've had some conversations with people in my life. And I've heard of conversations that have been had with people in my life that I've really been thinking about. I think that there is a subsect of women that identify as Democrat, women that identify as liberal, um, and to be clear, white women that believe that equity work is a hat that you wear. Mm, And it is something that you put on and you do some work in the equity. You make some actions, you talk, you have some conversations with some friends, you read a book, you participate in like a book club right which yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about. I think maybe like you do a drive like you do a drive of some sort like an <laughs> equity drive like yeah. with some socks maybe yeah yeah wait what? canned goods oh yes like canned goods canned like you goods. do some kind of drive like yes. canned goods yeah, yeah. socks okay. whatever sandwiches but, for the homeless I mean, exactly whatever. right you do the thing you check the box and then you take the hat off and you go right. about the rest of yeah. your life um and you think about it as this separate thing that you do, right? It's a lot like the job. It's a role that you have in your life. And I think the jump that has to happen for many women that identify as allies and many people that identify as allies is that that is not how it works. Equity is a value that you carry with yourself all of the time. Work around equity needs to be embedded into who you are. It should be thought about in every decision that you make, every move that you make. And and until like that is the goal, is that it is not something that you do and you check a box and then you move on with your day. Or honestly, right now, like I would say back in the spring, it was something you like checked your box in a, on a day and then moved on. I think now we're more like, oh, you check that box this week or maybe every other yeah. week, and then you moved on with your life, right? I, And that is the problem, right? Is this like apathy and there's so much else going on, but that is how we have gotten to where we are right now is that pe- white allies do not recognize how consistently this work has to be, mm-hmm. right? That it has to be a value, a core value of yours. Yeah. Right. And and so my challenge to you is posting on social media once a week about something isn't enough. And Mm. if you are in that camp right now where you like post on Instagram and even once a day, if that's what you're doing, that's good, but it's not enough. Clearly, it's I'm like, I feel like this is the altar call in church. I'm like amening over here and I'm like, preach it, sister. Let's go. Altar call. (laughs) Bring us bring us up here. Bring us up for all all of you that know what I'm talking about. So I think, yeah, I mean, it is. It's in everything, right? It's the same commitment you have to your 
Patagonia. Like you have to have commitment to this work. And I just do something all the time. It has to be a part of your characteristic. It has to, and like that has to be a conscious decision. It's not going to happen naturally. And so truly like check in with yourself. Cause I, I know like most of our listeners are probably white and probably people that identify as Democrat. Right. And so my challenge to you is check in with yourself of how do you think about your equity work? Is it a hat that you wear? Is it a box that you check? Or is it something that you are striving to become part of who you are and a value that you just live your life by. Um, this is really, this is really, say the, say the segment, Megan. Oh, you just went is, into it. Do your fudging homework. <laughs> Interchangeable. White ladies. Okay. It's not a hat you wear. Do the work. Do the and work. I think especially um, that Biden is going to be president. Um, continue to do the work. You cannot just like, you know, kick your heels up and be like, it's done now. We're fine. Uh-huh. Um, you got to keep doing that. Right? And it's one of those things where it's like you're in a, if you're in a social situation and you hear something that is like racist or problematic. Yeah. If, and something. it's like you think and say something, right? It's like, oh, I'm not wearing my equity hat right now. I'm just going to ignore it and move on because that would be too much. That would be too hard. That's not, that's not it. Right. You have, you need to say something. You have to say something. You need to address it. Right. Mm-hmm. That is the work. Yeah. And I think about too, like our listeners who have these like groups and pockets of connections, like it's also the work in those places. So I'm not a mom. I don't go to mom's group and I've heard all kinds of horror stories about mom's groups, <laughs> but I think the work is in mom's groups. Right. I think the work is at the dog park when someone's crazy saying their thing and you're talking about your dogs. Like I know those are awkward moments, but I think that's also where it is too. I think sometimes we try to like fabricate some big thing that we have to do and some campaign we have to donate to and some letters we have to write. But actually, I think it's in those daily encounters. Those, it's the parking lot. It's the, you know, the daycare. It's all those little places that you interact with people and you have this chance to, even if you just planted like a different seed in someone's mind or offered yeah. a counter narrative to whatever they're hearing um, in their own world. I think that's where the work has to happen. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, well, Megan, this has been an interesting conversation. Yes. So thank you for taking the time. I feel like <laughs> to talk today. Um, real fast, listeners, we want to make sure that we remind you all that we're doing a collaboration um, for the next IWL Read Less Basic book. We are collaborating with the Nerd Farm podcast. We are all going to read and record episodes on the book Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. If you have not started reading it yet, please grab a copy. Of course, Liberal FM, shout out, use um, the code that we will post in there. I believe it's Tacoma. Tweet about the book either through Nerd Farm, hashtag Nerd Farm Reads or hashtag Read It Less Basic. Share your ideas, share your thoughts. Cannot wait to have um, that conversation and hear what people are thinking about and how it is challenging you. Absolutely. Anything else? Nope. I think that's great. <sighs> Bye. Bye. Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. I coughed the other day and we were out in this because I was choking on a peanut and this guy was like, he moved away. And I was like, fair enough, but it is this peanut. It's not actually because I don't. I don't actually have it. Okay. (laughs) The Interchangeable White Ladies podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounder's B-Team, We Art Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.